it is a challenge for us as educators to find the line um, between um, uh, giving giving the pupils what they need, the truth, if you like. And we shouldn't be scared about presenting the harshness of the world to our pupils, but balancing that with protecting them because um, it, it can be a pretty nasty world out there. And if we overload children too early in their Absolutely. life with some of the trauma that's going on, well, well, you you may well damage them. Yeah, completely. Um, so, yeah. so I think there needs to be, and there needs really to be at the heart of a liberal education, uh, truth and honesty. Welcome to the Independent School Podcast. Thinking and acting strategically is the key to both securing the future of your school and helping to build a more equal and just world. My name's Juliette Corbett. I'm a consultant, speaker and facilitator specialising in helping independent schools. In this podcast, I translate tried and tested strategy and fundraising techniques into a language that works for schools. So if you're a senior leader in a private school, and you want your daily work to feel less exhausting and more strategic. And if you want once more to feel the joy of making the world a better place through education, then you're in the right place. Welcome, and let's get started on this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode, where I am thrilled to be joined by Guy Ailing, headmaster of Mount Kelly, where we're going to be talking about how schools can respond to the Ukrainian crisis with real compassion. So Guy is the headmaster of Mount Kelly, which is an HMC day and boarding school in Tavistock here in the UK on the edge of Dartmoor National Park. The prep and senior school together have about 600 girls and boys aged 3 to 18. Guy joined the school as headmaster in 2019 following a successful career in school leadership. And in this episode, Guy and I talk about how Mount Kelly is responding to the invasion of Ukraine. And we look at this from a number of different angles. So first of all, how they initially responded to support the members of their school community who were who were affected and then increasingly switching to supporting those actually in Ukraine and the surrounding areas who are seeing the war firsthand. We also talk about ways in which Mount Kelly is preparing for the economic kind of choppy waters that are on their way, and also about its successful partnership with the Cumberland School in London as well. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Guy Ailing. Before we dive into the detail, I wanted to let you know about a free resource I've created to help you prepare your school for the coming economic impact of the invasion of Ukraine. It's a checklist of things you need to think about and take action on now, and it's designed to prompt strategic conversations around the issues that actually matter. You can download your free copy at www.consultjuliet.co.uk slash checklist. Okay, now let's continue with this week's episode. So hello, Guy, and welcome to the Independent School Podcast. Hello, Juliet. Thank you very much indeed for having me. So we're, we're joining each other in this conversation in slightly dark days, times where actually the world is in turmoil, kind of yet again, we had the pandemic and now we have this situation with the invasion of Ukraine and the economic sanctions against Russia. One of the things I have been saying in all of the, the kind of content I've been putting out over the last few weeks is that people always come first. And I'd be really intrigued just to launch straight into your 
your first thoughts, your first reaction when you heard about what was happening in those very early days of the invasion of Ukraine? And what was your first kind of uh, piece of action that you took to protect those within your school community? I think you're absolutely right, Julia, to say that people come first, uh, not just in communities, but even in high politics. You know, this is what's going on in Ukraine is about uh, people throughout society. Um, President Putin and President Zelensky, they are people. And politics is about the interaction between people. But at our level, um, down at the bottom, if you like, my first reaction as a head was about the welfare of the pupils in the school. And our, our thoughts immediately went to... Um, the Russians and the Ukrainians that we have, and we made sure that we we wrapped a metaphorical arm around them to to make sure they were okay, not just them, but their parents, Uh, some of whom are in the UK, some of whom are not in the UK, are in Russia uh, and the Ukraine. Um, We also also realised very, very quickly that what was going on in the Ukraine was creating enormous uh, anxiety amongst uh, the, the pupil body as a whole. Um, I mean, I can remember vividly my own worries in the 1980s around the Cold War and so on and uh, what's going to happen in the future. And I, and I think that this was a reminder, this has served as a reminder that children can feel very, very vulnerable, yeah. regardless of how far these events might be unfolding from, from their school. Um, so our immediate response was to talk with the pupils at, at an individual level, but also uh, corporately in assemblies and in, in chapel. We addressed some of the issues, tried to explain what was going on and tried to give them some reassurance that we as a school would do everything we can, not only to support them, but to support uh, the efforts um, to provide comfort for the people who've in, been impacted by this. But but you're absolutely right. It was all It's all about the people. And, and as soon as we lose that focus, then I think we're really in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. I find it fascinating. So obviously there's an age-appropriate way of communicating these things. But one thing I've sort of seen time and again is that we often underestimate the level of of really um, critical thinking that goes on within children's heads that they can we teach them don't we to, to connect events to understand that the things they're learning about in history may then relate to current events and so on and I think that 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 was really brought to bear by a conversation that I had with a head a couple of weeks ago so the very early days who had said that they had been really shocked that someone had said within their community a pupil had said within the community what happens when I get called up? Can I do my GCSEs first? And they'd obviously been learning about, you know, the Second World War, the First World War, and, and were um, using their critical thinking skills, but taking that a little bit faster and further than those of us, perhaps in the adult world, who can understand the pace at which these things change and, and what's actually likely to unfold over the coming months and years. Have you seen examples of that within your community as well, having to make sure these things are age appropriate, but not underestimating how much your pupils hear and listen to the media? I suppose to a large extent, we shouldn't necessarily see what's going on in the Ukraine as any different to many of the other global challenges. I know that this one seems to be, and and probably is far worse than some of the other sort of geopolitical messes we've been facing, but it's no no difference in the sense that it is a challenge for us as educators to find the line um, between um, uh, giving giving the pupils what they need, the truth, if you like. And we shouldn't be scared about presenting the harshness of the world to our pupils, but balancing that 
with protecting them because yeah. um, it, it can be a pretty nasty world out there. And if we overload children too early in their Absolutely. life with some of the trauma that's going on, well, well, you you may well damage them. Yeah, completely. Um, so, yeah. I, so I think there needs to be, and there needs really to be at the heart of a liberal education, uh, truth and honesty. And, and we as a community are prepared to share and discuss um everything um I, i've made it quite clear to the pupils that we don't platform anybody we don't ban anybody we're yeah. not a censorious organization and that's been put to the test a little bit here when the the gravity of the situation and particularly some of the inhumanity uh, of, of what's going on does need to be shared I, th I think the way in which it is shared uh, is important and also the context in which it's shared we can have if you like a, a secular assembly where we sort of ta tackle some of the political issues and the, his the history that's got us to this point but also within chapel you know our, our chaplain has spoken very very eloquently and sensitively over the issues and she's she has shared the uh the christian and and, and the broader faith-based uh, response to these uh th this this crisis yeah. and i think that can be enormously helpful for some of the children to feel that there might be a bigger picture and it's yeah. not um it, it it is awful but from a christian point of view there is hope uh, and of yeah. course easter is just around the corner Absolutely. And I think that that actually also brings us on to my next question, which is going to be about taking action to help those directly impacted. And a lot of the Christian message or even a completely secular message, there's a sense that if I as an individual or if we as a community can be, for example, fundraising to support the DEC um, charities here in the UK, which are humanitarian charities helping those on the ground in Ukraine and, and the whole surrounding area, um, that by taking action that is a way of of um dissipating some of the anxiety um so long as that action is taken in a way that actually benefits those on the ground rather than creating additional um, logistical issues for them so what were your thoughts around how to help those directly impacted so kind of moving outside your school community to those directly impacted um on the ground I, I just before I answer, I will mm. say you're absolutely right that sometimes the, the action itself not only helps people but helps those who are taking the action. And it yeah. is living, it, it is living and acting out compassion, exactly. which of course is, is paradoxically facilitated by by suffering. We live in a world full of suffering, but it allows us to be compassionate. And I think that it is in moments of this crisis that we we see ourselves. Um, at our best, those of us who aren't involved in it, in, 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 in the sense that we are stepping yeah. up to help people. I mean, what, what was very interesting, um, we, we were within 24 hours or so of, of the invasion yeah. of the Ukraine, of Ukraine, uh, we were inundated with suggestions over what we should do. Mm -hmm. um, parents were very active, pupils, you know, let's do a car wash, let's bake some cakes, let's do this, let's do that. Uh, and we as a senior team decided that we'd actually do nothing for a week or two. Mm -hmm. uh, and we said that to pupils and parents, that we wanted to roll out a programme of, of response, if you like, that could be impactful uh, rather than knee-jerk reaction uh, and baking a few cakes uh, and so on. So we, after a week or two, we, we, we've devised... Um, a program for the next few months over activities that we're going to do activities that we now feel confident will engage more of our people in the community parents and staff and 
pupils uh, fundamentally, but also gain traction in the sense that um, it, it will capture the imagination. It will it will educate the children as to what's going on. Yeah. And first and foremost, it'll it'll um, make a little bit more money than perhaps the knee jerk reaction would do. So we, we've just started yeah. that. Um, beyond that, um, we do have Ukrainian families who are now talking about their friends coming over. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about giving out rooms to, yes. to, spawn, uh, to, to people, and that's great. I think it's fraught with some difficulties, logistical and administrative, as much as anything. It's probably not something we could do as a school, but we can educate the children of people who perhaps... Uh, have rooms made available to them so we're in the process of talking to five Ukrainian families at the moment about the possibility of their children uh, coming to Mount Kelly for as long as well for really as long as they need to yeah fantastic tell me a little bit more about what you're doing on that fundraising front so you mentioned that you have devised a program which hopes to educate and engage people is this um, around events or what kind of fundraising are you doing what kind of activities do you have planned well, there are, I mean, I, I sort of, I, I said car washes and cake bake sales were, were, were what we weren't going to do, but uh, there are elements of those sort of really fun grassroots yeah. uh, events. I mean, just this morning, I spent £20 on a whole load of cakes baked <laughs> by the children and staff for, for my team up in the office and so on and so forth. So there are those types of events. We are, though, um, moving towards um, a community-based concert in the summer. Mm -hmm. um we've got a strong tradition of music performance here and a strong tradition of collaboration with community groups and we'll be holding uh, a large fundraising concert uh for all the community and i think that's the really important point uh that we that, that we are acting as part of the community as opposed to being um away or apart from the community Absolutely. Um, so we're heading towards that um and I think there are all sorts of opportunities for us that we're thinking about within some of our academic societies. We have discussion groups, for example. We have pupils who are not only from Ukraine and Russia, but also uh, other Eastern European countries. And those children might be feeling uh, a little bit of tension at the moment. I think it's a great opportunity for us to uh, live out something that we do, which I call uh, dare to dare d-a-r-e to discuss actively listen respect and engage and i think we can do some of that through our academic societies and that's where perhaps the education comes in uh developing uh respect but also making it quite clear where we stand in this you know i yeah. don't want to be really livid uh in this and say well you know let's cuddle everybody and make sure everybody's okay you know, Putin's got this wrong. You know, he's he is an he's on the wrong side of history here, uh, and I think we need to be absolutely clear about what is right and what is wrong, uh, and that we will defend the freedoms that that we've been blessed with um, very vigorously indeed. And the Ukrainians mm. are a fantastic example in that. Absolutely, it, it's always more complicated than than it appears at first. So so there is a clear aggressor. In this situation, there is a clear um, right and wrong with regards to the way that that civilians and, and kind of humanitarian acts of, of horror are taking place. So there's some very obvious black and white in this, but of course, as soon as you get below that, that there is a whole shade of, of all different kind of greys across the 
the spectrum to see, for example, those Russians who um, their their family, their their sons, their brothers, their husbands are, are fighting, and yet they don't understand what's happening. There's there's a huge amount of of understanding that needs to be developed within young people, and this is this is an opportunity, as you say, to make sure that in an age appropriate way, those children are understanding the way that the world works, but also understanding that that this is an opportunity for compassion. I think as well. You use the word response, and I think there's a big difference between reacting, that kind of knee-jerk reaction immediately when you see something happen, you want to react without thinking, whereas actually what you're doing is responding, which I know in the kind of the mindfulness um, kind of reading that I've been doing, there's a big difference between the two. Responding requires self-knowledge, requires time, requires reflection, not too much time, but reflection um, in order to then respond in an appropriate way, as opposed to reacting in a knee-jerk kind of emotional driven way so i think these are all themes that that we as schools need to grapple with and that we are helping our young people to understand as well and i think i think you know um, covid has, has taught us that i think there were times during the lockdown when reaction rather than response might have been uh, the the easiest yeah. thing to do but we i think we learned good lessons there about communicating to to parents that we would respond when we had something to respond to something that was meaningful rather than something that just had a a short-term benefit so yes it's it's response rather than reaction should be our watchword yeah absolutely having spoken about the fact that people always come first the people within your school community who are affected those on the ground who are affected by the humanitarian horrors that we're seeing it is inappropriate and important for school leaders to be thinking about the impact of the coming economic shock on our schools. Um, I never like to jump straight to this because the people always come first, but I think as guardians of our schools for future generations, it is critically important that some really good strategic thinking occurs at this point. Um, one of the things that I've been talking about a lot is that we're seeing energy prices rise now. That's kind of happening immediately. It's already in train but there is a lot more to come in terms of cost inflation for schools in terms of impact on investment income shifts in the landscape of pupil recruitment both within the UK and internationally what have your thoughts been around this how have your senior team and your governors kind of taken stock of some of these issues and and started to take action on these areas Where where are your thoughts on that at the moment well, thankfully, we're we're pretty well advanced in our in our thinking in the sense that um, the, the governing body and, and particularly those who run our financial side are very very sensitive to all of these things, and we, we've had some fantastically constructive conversations already uh, about this. Uh, and and it, it's a huge problem, Julia, as you said. The utility prices are going to go through the roof, and and the cost to serve across the board is 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 going up. Um, and, and, it, and it may also impact, uh, it will impact income. Overseas uh, inquiries, are, for us anyway, already down as a result of COVID and, and, mm. and the current situation in Ukraine is not going to make that necessarily any better. Uh, and of course, as, as inflation goes up, more and more of our parents, understandably, will feel the squeeze and perhaps be asking for greater means-tested bursary support. So it's coming in from every angle. In terms of our own response, um, I mean, we're keeping our ear very close to the ground in terms of utility prices, and we've got a couple of contracts up in the next month or two. So we're looking at how we're going to manage those. 
Um, our our determination is at the moment, though, is to look after the people in our organisation. And, and, mm -hmm. and during COVID, uh, we went into COVID with 257 employees and we came out of COVID with 257 employees. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want to protect all the people uh, within our organisation. Uh, so we're looking at uh, really cutting our costs in all of our operation uh, across the board uh, before we start looking at anything uh, more, more severe than that. And we feel confident that we can, we can manage our way uh, through it. Of course, it's all about the quality of provision, though, isn't it? And, and uh, we need to make sure whilst we navigate these choppy waters, and they'll be choppy for a while, but they will settle, that, that we keep the pupils at the centre of our decision making and that we make sure that they are taught well and they're coached well and they're cared for and well fed and well watered, all of these types of things. Uh, it's about um, controlling the, the, the costs without damaging the provision. But therein, there is also an opportunity here, Julia. We, we've been going on for a long time about a sustainability agenda. Yeah. Um, and, powering, and firing up all the boys and girls, uh, getting our sustainability agenda really rolling now, changing behaviours about consumption, shutting windows, putting lights off, all of these types of things uh, is, is exactly what we need to do. Uh, but I think that um, getting the pupils to own some of this um, is really what we need to do. And maybe this crisis has catalysed that, that drive. Yeah, I think we're seeing this time, just as we did in, in the COVID pandemic, most of the time these, these trends that are kind of happening across the economy, across society, they're not completely new. Obviously, the impact on Ukraine is new, but the general trends have been there for some time. And it's just that things speed up during times of crisis. And I think that one of the silver linings, as it were, if I can say that, is that with energy prices increasing and increasing very publicly, people kind of have read about it, they've heard about it, they understand what's happening. Um, it's impacting them at home as well. This is an opportunity for that behaviour change to really take a, a leap forward, hopefully. Um, and I think one of the things that schools, an opportunity that schools have is to think about cost control, not just from the point of view of negotiating better contracts within energy suppliers, et cetera, et cetera, but actually about the behaviour of individuals every day in terms of the way that they use resources, natural resources within the schools. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've identified identified changes in behaviour that we need to affect. And yeah. I think this, this is a catalyst and uh, you called it a silver lining. But there's always um, opportunities to do things better when you're faced by a crisis. And actually, I think it's the greatest um, strength of the independent sector is the fact that we are independent and we we need to be light footed when facing challenges. Yeah. And we, we, we are... Uh, to a large degree, um, masters of our own destiny. And, and if we if we respond positively to what's in front of us, then uh, then 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 we can come out of this fine. I mean, interestingly, we've also just done a um, a heat source uh, survey on the school, quite a big piece of work, and we've identified other sources. Uh, for our energy, solar and heat pump and so on and so forth. And I'm just rather hoping that this current crisis will will nudge the government back into action when it comes to their renewable heat incentives, which are yeah. particularly great at the moment. But, but we would be ready, again, to catalyse our move towards alternative heat sources in response to what's going on. And that will be good for us in the long term. 
Exactly. I think some of those changes that we're making kind of nationwide, but then the organisations and schools are making um, for their own um, communities. Some of these are medium term shifts, aren't they? So the behaviour change you can affect quite quickly. So the turning off the lights, the printing less, less on less paper, et cetera, et cetera. But the medium term kind of opportunity here is shifting to more renewable energy um, sources either produced actually directly on your site or by sourcing them from from elsewhere and I think some of those return on investment calculations that would have been baked into previous assessments that some schools may have done are worth revisiting actually because with energy prices a lot higher than people had predicted perhaps you know three years ago let's say two years ago um i think what we're seeing now is actually some of these projects are now worth investing in just just if you look at pure financials not a kind of a sustainability agenda but just pure financials some of these investments are now worth making in a way that they weren't necessarily worth making Although it does depend on your future outlook for energy prices long term, but yeah. Absolutely. The the data around which these uh, calculations were were made has changed massively. Yeah. And when we look at the the, the fact that we'll we'll face um, quite swinging taxes in the next 10 to 15 years if we're not going greener. Yes. uh, Now is the time to do something. It it is difficult, though, because without government uh, incentives and so on, it's an enormous outlay. But... Um, it, it's that it, it's this type of thinking that I think we as a sector um, need to embrace. In fact, I, I talking to heads, we are embracing it. You know, I, I've always thought that, as I said, our independence is our greatest strength. Yes. Uh, and uh, and we're able to make these decisions, and, and and we often make good decisions that that make us better as organisations and more sustainable. Yes, absolutely, and the ability to act with more agility during this kind of situation um, is a, a great benefit for the independent sector, absolutely. I think there's also a um, potentially a theme around fundraising for these sorts of projects as well, which I know some schools have been exploring, um, but perhaps could be something that we're exploring more as a sector as well in terms of donors helping to underpin some of the initial investment costs in these sustainable energy projects. Um, and then knowing that the end result will be a, a better income generation through through energy production actually on site um, for the school one of the things you mentioned earlier in our conversation was around the conversations that you're just starting to have with some of those ukrainian families in your area um, offering the opportunity potentially for those children to come to your school um, either for short term or or longer term education as, as they're in the uk that marries up with a final thing i wanted to ask you about so we don't want to lose focus on the social impact that we're trying to have in the independent school sector within our UK society. So especially around the bursaries and the partnerships work that impacts on social mobility. I know that you've been doing a lot of work around bursaries for um, and partnership with Cumberland School in Newham in London. And I wonder whether there are lessons from that that you might be using for those Ukrainian conversations or could you tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing over the last few years with Cumberland School? So we, we've got a fantastic uh, programme with Cumberland School, um, which is a very uh, ambitious uh, and forward-looking uh, school. It finishes at year 11, so, so their children go off to other sixth form colleges and so on. And they have a programme with half a dozen or so independent schools to place these pupils on, on fully funded scholarships for their sixth form career. Uh, and it's, it, it, it's a fantastic programme. Um, and it's not about us extending our largesse to to children from the east end of london these pupils come here and they 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 enrich us 
fantastically. They've got great drive, great character. Um, and they, they, they lend us um, an energy that perhaps we might not have had before. So it's a fantastic program. And we, we, we use the stories of the children who are on this program. I, I hope to inspire, particularly our alumni, uh, who support us financially uh, to, to make things happen. In terms of lessons we might have learned, Ukraine and, and all of this type of thing, that it's all about access, accessibility, uh, Julia. And I, I'm a great believer that the independent sector needs to work very hard, as it is, to make itself uh, accessible, to show that it has uh, public benefits and public good. Uh, and to drive uh, opportunities uh, and social mobility, particularly opportunities for those who might not ordinarily be able to afford it, but who, if they were given an independent school education, it could be life transforming for them. And that, that's what we want to do. Um, of course, um, th this, this all needs to be driven through fundraising because we can't give free places away. Um, and then they're never free, are they? They might be... Um, free or less expensive to the recipient but the money has to come from somewhere yeah. mm -hmm. but i think i think the the, the story uh, it's a very compelling story uh to to give children a life uh, transforming education and and whether they're from the east end of london or from north cornwall which is a north devon other areas that we look at or from mm -hmm. ukraine um it doesn't really matter it's about enriching society giving young people uh, a chance and giving them the skills to be happy in their lives and and, and uh, members of society who will contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes to the the purpose of independent schools. I think it's always been a lot of schools were set up initially for the benefit of, you know, local poor boys often. Um, 150 200 300 years ago i think that it's always been there but something in the last sort of 10 years or so has has been articulated more clearly which is that the role of independent schools in our society has to be positive and yes there's a benefit to offering excellent education for those who can afford it that is a social good there's also more that can be done and i think what we're seeing with the bursaries and partnerships with the, within the uk kind of with state schools with um, bursary holders coming from within the UK also extending that internationally and understanding how we can use the lessons that we learn in one area and translate those into helping others I think this is a message that's coming through loud and clear from the sector isn't it I hear it all the time people really care yeah, about this. It, it, you're right to point out that our sort of foundation charters generically speaking across the independent sector the charitable object is to provide education often yeah. to those who wouldn't ordinarily be able to get education, usually poor boys, and you, you mentioned the mm -hmm. boys. Um, and, and I think the independent sector as a whole um, it is, is more true to that uh, philanthropic um, purpose than it ever has been. Um, I think it's gone through all different stages and has become, it was almost like the preserve of the, the rich and famous and so on, perhaps for a few generations. But I think now we are far more in tune with what we're supposed to be doing and certainly what we were set up. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think uh, it's par it's a slight paradox is it's come at a time when, you know, we're, we're as good as we've ever been in terms of this and, and, and social benefit, but it's come at a time when people question the independent sector more than they ever have done. And I, yeah. I haven't really experienced such a hostile landscape for independent education as I, as I have done in the last few years. And by that, I mean, I, you know, I don't think we have really, 
too many friends in Westminster. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I, broadly speaking, you know, our numbers are pretty buoyant. It suggests that people in society do do recognise and appreciate choice when it comes to education. But I think we are a large amount of independent schools are in danger of giving the sector a good name through the work that we do, uh, <laughs> through raising um, bursary money and improving accessibility. And I'm, I'm very proud to be doing our little bit down in West Devon. Yeah, I think it's really important. I, I think, although it does feel paradoxical, I think it's actually important to note the connection between those things. But actually, this is a time when the sector's doing better in this area because it wants to do better in this area, but it also needs to be publicising that, partly because we need to be shoring up the reputation within Westminster of independent education, but also because I think my my gut instinct is that there are going to be more and more parents, prospective parents of the, the children who are now coming up into to independent education who want to see things like social justice, things like social mobility. They want to know that their school, that their children is going to is doing some good in the world. That's not going to be 100% of parents, but it's a good proportion of them. And I think as well, same goes for teachers. When you look at the teachers that are coming into the profession, they're doing it because they want to do something good in the world. And so to retain those teachers and to kind of engage with them and to recruit those teachers from from across the world, it's, it's absolutely critical that schools are not just doing these things, but talking about what they're doing so that we can bolster the reputation of the sector accurately to reflect what really great work that's happening across many, many schools. Absolutely. absolutely. I remember my own education in the 80s uh, when Margaret Thatcher was prime minister and I went to a well-known boarding school. Um, I I don't think necessarily we felt um, care as being part of our responsibility. It was about uh, achieving almost at any cost, Mm -hmm. uh, regardless of who bore that cost. And I think we as society have thankfully moved on from that. I think, you know, very quite old ideas around stakeholder capitalism have re-emerged, particularly during uh, COVID when people started to talk about uh, the power of, of business and, and, and entrepreneurs to bring good beyond their own wallets. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right. Parents want to see that, that, that their schools are giving the, their children the skills necessary to go into a world that has very different priorities to perhaps when I was at school. And I think they're much better priorities, frankly. We tend to uh, look out for the person next to us as much as we do about ourselves. Um, And and we've got a great responsibility in in schools to provide the education, the appropriate education for Mm. that. Uh, And it's a great opportunity as well. That's what's so fantastic about working in schools. You you're having to respond quickly, but but you can have a really meaningful impact on 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 what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, I think it's really important that we've ended on a, on a more optimistic note than the one we started in. It's a it's a difficult world to live in at the moment, and sometimes it's easy to to see all the negatives. But it sounds like you're feeling pretty optimistic about the impact that your community can have for those impacted by the invasion of Ukraine, and then more generally in terms of the positive impact on society. Optimistic. Absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm by nature quite optimistic, but that doesn't just mean I have a glass that's half full. I'm thinking about how I'm going to use the water in the glass. And that's the most important aspect of optimism. I think we'll have some impact, a little impact on perhaps what we're doing for the Ukraine. But most importantly, we're, we're showing children what they can do with compassion. And if they go into the world 
with a healthy dose of compassion up their sleeve, then they're not going to do too badly. Thank you so much. That's a wonderful place to finish our conversation. Thank you so much, Guy, for your time today. Really interesting to hear about what the Mount Kelly community is doing. I think the words that immediately kind of resonate with me, that idea around compassion and that we can use this as an opportunity to to role model compassion for others within our school communities and also that difference between not wanting to react in the moment but wanting to respond thoughtfully and having reflected on the best way to help so thank you so much guys for your for your time today it's been fantastic to have you here on the podcast thank you very much julia it's been great fun thanks for listening to the independent school podcast the podcast that helps senior leaders in private schools to think and act more strategically, both because they want to secure the future of their school and because they want to help build a more equal and just world. You can listen in everywhere that podcasts are available. And if you want to catch up on previous episodes or follow any of the links that I've mentioned today, just head over to www.consultjuliet.com co.uk slash podcast.